Hello there. Hi, everybody. I have no face today on Zoom. Um, so I will be describing my face to Liz many times, which um, nothing will change for the listeners, but um, for me, uh, different. Um, <laughs> Sarah's getting ready to figure out why I don't do phone calls. <laughs> ever (laughs) i also hate phone calls but you know if they were like this where i didn't have to show my face but i could see the other person's face then it's fine it's just a matter of not knowing when to speak because i don't have that visual cue right um and then i get frustrated and embarrassed and then i never want to talk well you don't have to be embarrassed it's okay embarrassed on this podcast (laughs) never (laughs) it is humiliating um just generally to be alive but also to have a podcast um it's kind of embarrassing it's an embarrassing thing to do yes there's (laughs) an archive of my voice out there not always being smart sometimes being (laughs) very very dumb (laughs) That people can listen to at two in the morning if they so choose from the other side of the world. Yeah, they can. I don't want to think about that anymore. Okay, let's move on. Um, right now my face is smiling. <laughs> I am very glad to hear that. Um, <laughs> my face is, as you can see, lit up by the sun. Uh-huh. Um, it's very bright in here and there are a million ladybugs in my living room that you've been murdering I have been systematically slaughtering the ladybugs wow. in my living room I hate ladybugs I have a very particular reason why I hate ladybugs that okay. doesn't make a whole lot of sense um, but my brother used to rip their wings off and then put them on me and it traumatized me deeply. <laughs> Psychopath. A little bit, yeah. Um, and now they freak me out. Yeah. They have a they have a particular smell. Yeah. That I don't care for. There's just so many of them. You don't get one. You get yeah. five thousand. A plague. Why what do you want? I don't have food in here. Why do you want to be in my house? They just like you. They want to hang out with you. Well, they can fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> this just in, the ladybugs can fuck off. In an update to my digestion chronicles, um, yeah. I have no food in the house, and I was really craving a sweet treat, so I decided to eat a giant bowl of peanut butter and yogurt, and I immediately became nauseated post yogurt together yeah i just mixed them up why would you do that <laughs> i don't know i thought it would be a good idea because <laughs> I, 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 can i can i defend myself <laughs> go for it here's your shovel keep on digging peanut butter is sometimes a flavor of yogurt right so it's certainly one of them (laughs) (laughs) not I wouldn't say top 10 or top 20 or top 50 but it exists 
It does. <laughs> um, and then after I became nauseated, I was looking at the yogurt and I realized it's expired. But it's fine. Double whammy. <laughs> it's it's fine. It's only like four days expired. Oh, see, that doesn't even count. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It'll be okay. Um, but yeah, <laughs> not great. I don't feel good. <laughs> it's probably because you mixed together two foods that shouldn't be mixed together. <laughs> it's peanut butter in yogurt. Your stomach doesn't know the difference. It doesn't know. Well, apparently it might. It it might. Um, that's bizarre. It's a bizarre combination, Sarah. Okay, well, I'm desperate. I too get desperate, but that's when I eat like cold tortillas out of my fridge with nothing else on them. You would rather have a cold tortilla than peanut butter yogurt. Yes. Just a plain <laughs> ass. Yes. Corn or flour. I'm not picky. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up eating cold tortillas. I'll just take a cold tortilla. Was that your like after school snack? No, that was mom hasn't gone to the food pantry and we don't have any food and we don't know when we will again. Cold tortillas is all we have. And that one random can of beans. (laughs) (laughs) Just hanging out always. Old reliable. Um, Because I would also have tortillas but I would melt like a slice of cheese on them or a handful of shredded cheese if we had it. If we didn't, I would just put some salt on it and call it a day. Yeah. Yeah. Bad. Anyway, this is a podcast called Saints and Witches. I'm Sarah. I'm Catholic. I'm Liz. I pretend to be a Catholic, apparently now, to <laughs> Jehovah's Witnesses to come to my door. Um, but I'm a witch. I, yeah, I think that is one of the funniest things <laughs> that I've heard in a long time, is that you pretend to be Catholic to avoid Jehovah's Witnesses who come to your door. I do. They're very nice, and I don't want to be mean to them. No. And I want them to very quickly go away. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I have discovered that any number of excuses, uh, like you can be like, oh, I'm on a business call in the other room. They'll be like, oh, just tell us when to come back. Mm, um, and it's like, pass. You persistent. And then finally, <laughs> I just very frustrated one day when I already have a church and they're like oh really what's your church and I'm like I don't know any catholic churches so I was just like oh I'm catholic and they went oh okay well have a nice day and I'm like it works <laughs> okay well burn in hell <laughs> the genius <laughs> yeah that's so funny yeah because it's like oh well she's beyond hope of yes. saving I'm not going to come to your little uh, shindig book club. Yeah. I'm not yeah. interested. But yeah, they're very nice people. I don't want to be mean to them, but mm-hmm. you got to be very careful what you say to them because everything is an invitation for them to keep talking. Oh, yeah. I've never, ever once been in this situation. I have so many times. This is like the fourth time the last one a couple days ago was the fourth time I've had them come to my door has it always been at the same place 
like uh apartment yeah like the same apartment three here one at my last place you have not lived here very long no i only lived here for two years and i've the three that i've had have all been in like the last two months they really need to switch up their routes i know i don't know what it is about the last couple of months but they are very worried about the state of everybody's souls in my apartment (laughs) complex apparently (laughs) maybe they should talk to the girl who records porn down the hall yeah I was thinking about her the other day and just the girl boss energy of just like loudly doing that. I just think like, I wish I could have that little worry about like what other people think of me. Me too. Yeah. God bless her. Yeah. Anyway, this is a podcast where we tell each other stories about saints and witches and about our tummy problems. (laughs) If that does not interest you, then go away. Then fuck (laughs) off. This ain't your podcast. Bye. So today's story is short because my life is a shit show of physical therapy appointments and overtime and deadlines and I'm tired of being an adult, Sarah. Yeah, I feel that. I'm done. I'm over <laughs> it. <laughs> um, I am dropping me at least down into Salzburg, Austria, 1675. Nice. I don't know where you are today. I'm more in Vienna and a bit later, about like 100 to 200 years later. Okie doke. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Austria as a country kind of looks a little bit like a liver. That's what it's shaped like, (laughs) um, in my personal opinion. Um, It is shoved underneath Germany and the Czech Republic. Uh, for Americans who do not know geography. Thank you for that. You're you're very welcome. I <laughs> painted a picture. Yeah. Um, Salzburg, a beautiful city surrounded by trees and these white top mountains, and it's cut through by the Salzach River. Um, I didn't Google any pronunciations in my entire story, so we're flattened by the seat of our pants today. Queen. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, it is located near the Austria-Germany border. Um, it's north pretty much, but the way that it's shaped, it's kind of like northwest. You'd have to look at it on a map to understand what I'm saying, but Mm -hmm. north. Um, as scenic as Salzburg is, it was home to a pretty massive atrocity in the late 1600s. Ooh, my favorite. (laughs) yay mass atrocity (laughs) (laughs) so fun um when witch panic hits an area there's always an underlying agenda to the accusations that follow somebody always gets scapegoated somebody always gets uh taken out because it's a prime opportunity to do so in Mm -hmm. Salzburg's case they use their witch hysteria as a means to execute and torture their homeless population oh neato yeah Love that for them. Yeah. Um, Salzburg witch trials ran from 1675 to 1690, so for a very long period of time. Mm-hmm. 
And they're also known as the magician jackal process or trials. Okay. Um, I will explain why. Okay, yeah, later. just so you know, my face was confused. Uh, yeah, me too. Whenever <laughs> I first get, I'm like, everything, I'm so used to seeing the, the insert town name witch trials, this, this, this. And it was like the Salzburg witch trials or the magician jackal process. And I'm like, I'm curious what the fuck that means. I would definitely go down that rabbit hole. And I did. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Um, And the trials begin with, at least they begin, the story begins with um, a beggar named Barbara Kohler and her partner, Paul Calton Crocker. Let's guess. Um, The articles I read, which mostly just regurgitate one another, unfortunately, Um, Don't specify why Barbara and her partner were arrested, but a book, which I'll name in a second, did talk a little bit about her fighting with an innkeeper. And the gist of that seemed to be that Barbara went begging to an innkeeper. The innkeeper told her more or less to piss off, wasn't interested in giving her anything. The innkeeper's son, who was in the room, overheard all of this. Uh, points down to Barbara's dog that she's got with her and is like, well, you know, we won't give you anything for free, but I'll buy your dog off of you. And Barbara's like, I'm not giving you my dog. This is my dog. (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) This is my dog. Um, And at that point, the innkeeper's son attempts to steal the dog. Absolutely (laughs) fucking not. Yes, she leaves the room for a second and he tries to take the dog and lock it up. What a dick. Yes, absolute asshole. I think he's like 16 years old. So that's old enough to know better. (laughs) No, but like pure like Chad energy, like (laughs) asshole frat boy kind of energy. Yeah. I don't know, a Trevor kind of move. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, The landlady and her husband get involved in this massive fight that follows, like Barbara finding out that her dog has been stolen by the Mm. innkeeper's son. Um, The landlady, to her husband, makes a bunch of derogatory you people kind of comments like, oh, there's really no point getting into um, fights with People like Barbara, poor people, beggars, Mm. whatever. Don't get them started. Don't get involved with them. They're not worth it. And Barbara's like, you all can go to hell. I don't like any of you. Yeah. Um, And threatens, if my son, Jacob, who will be important in a second, um, if my son were here and got his hands on you, he'd shoot you down like a bird. Ooh, okay, Jacob. Yes. Um, As we've seen with other witch trials, all it takes is someone cursing someone and then an animal or a relative falling ill afterward, any time afterward, and voila, a witch is born. Mm -hmm. Literally all it takes. So the innkeeper's three-year-old son, Georgie, falls ill after this exchange with Barbara, and uh, the innkeeper and his wife are like, hmm, Our three-year-old, who's only three, is normally really healthy. It's very strange that he would just suddenly get sick. It's like, he's three years old. And also, three years is not a very long history of like, wow, he's always been a very healthy boy. (laughs) 
for the past like, three years. Yeah. Yes. If he'd gone like 25 years without so much as a cold, then maybe that would I'm be remarkable. Wild. Three, not so much. <laughs> this three-year-old, how strange that he suddenly got the sniffles. <laughs> right. He's such a strong, hearty little fellow. Why am I Irish? And that's literally what they say. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Words out of their mouth. <laughs> So they're like, hmm, that's kind of weird. Um, and then when they hear of another beggar woman in the area being arrested in connection to witchcraft, you know, um, talk of like uh, cattle death, injury, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, hmm, beggar, witchcraft, Barbara, son got ill. And they're the lady <laughs> with the math meme. The math, yeah, math lady. <laughs> yes. <laughs> The text says that Barbara had a habit of cursing people, unfortunately. Same. Um, it says that she once threatened to burn a man's house down because he didn't give her enough donuts. Okay. Yes. <laughs> relatable. Yes. Um, I don't see anything wrong with that. <laughs> I don't either. We all say stuff when we're hangry. Um, <laughs> Who among us hasn't threatened arson? when a wee bit hungry i want to see that as a snickers commercial Mm. it would be a pretty a pretty niche audience (laughs) it's like oh this references a 17th century austrian witch trial (laughs) i mean i would love it the weird like berries and cream lads somebody can do a weird niche 17th century uh austrian witch trial commercial it's true something for everybody (laughs) um (laughs) barbara cursed a man who refused her a bed for the night once she was known for bad manners kind of in general it said that at one point uh point she took food away from someone's child Mm -hmm. um like they offered her food or whatever she took the child's portion from in front of them and ate the kids (laughs) sorry that's just funny that's great and the family was deeply irate about Mm. it enough that it probably did ruin the birthday party (laughs) (laughs) she ate the kids piece of birthday cake yes now i'm picturing that she blew Mm. out the candles (laughs) picked it up took it over there she's smoking a cigarette at the mm. same time <laughs> that she lit with the birthday candles yes so good uh anyway um she did that uh people complained about her eating food off of their plates that she would reach <laughs> over and take something of theirs and eat it <laughs> she's hungry look she's poor she's hungry she didn't get enough donuts she has bad table manners but like the fact that this is from the 1600s and i'm reading about it that somebody's table manners were so bad that she got executed (laughs) she got the death penalty for bad manners what 300 plus years later some chick on a podcast is talking about the fact that her table manners were so shitty yeah um full circle yeah i really hope that that never something like that never happens to me some tiny thing like that oh it will i'll make sure of it 
Thank you. <laughs> um, Barbara's also known for having zero humor and getting into arguments with people over their bad jokes. Mm. Um, I didn't even understand one of the jokes. I, I wanted to understand it so that I could put it here, but essentially she showed up at somebody's house on a Sunday and they made some joke about the fact it was a Sunday and more or less she didn't have anywhere else like better to be on the board's day. Mm. And she just went the fuck off on them. Whoa. Um, and he's just like, I was just making a joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. It's like it was a dumb fucking joke. Wow. But I mean, we have his name and the joke he made and everything. And I'm like, just the fact that this exists. Yeah. Hundreds of years later, people were mad. They were so petty. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. You're right. It's like, I told her this joke on a Sunday and she just ripped my head off about it. Mm-hmm. I'm just imagining like the shit talking that some of me and my coworkers do about other coworkers. Like if somehow that got bound up into a trial, like manuscript. Right. And somebody read it like 300 years from now. Yes. That's essentially what this feels like. Yeah. Just gossip and shit talking. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my guess. All of this combined what led to her eventual accusation as a witch. I don't know if Paul was her husband. The text says partner. Um, and a source noted that beggars usually had partners because it wasn't the safest profession. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they may not have necessarily like begged together actively on the streets but they always walked together places in the mornings at night um yeah um i don't believe paul is the father of barbara's son jacob i'm also not sure if they intentionally threw barbara's son under the bus during their torture or not it's implied that they did by articles that they did the very typical you know this is the first person that I can think of. This is the person that I'm accusing. Yeah. Um, but if Barbara's, you know, if my son was here, comment. Um, like, it makes me wonder a little bit if she made a similar comment during her imprisonment. Mm. And then maybe the torturers, like, latched onto that. Right. My you son's going to kick your ass. Yeah, they're ripping off her fingernails. She's like, if my son was here, and they're like, if your son was here, what? And she's like, I, since I have made a mistake. <laughs> right. Never mind. <laughs> uh, who? What were we talking about? Get back to ripping off my fingernails, please. <laughs> right. Carry on, please. Never mind. Uh, they, yeah, they do not let it go. They're very interested in this, this son mm. of hers. Um, and the end result is that authorities turn their attention after executing both um, Barbara and Paul to Barbara's son, Paul Jacob Kohler, um, described as a 20-something-year-old man well-versed in the arts of begging and thievery, who apparently also made a pact with Satan and is skilled in dark magic. He's got a lot going on. He does, but I mean, what a pic- This You just absolutely could put this on a wanted poster you could draw <laughs> what the who the fuck are they looking for <laughs> <laughs> right it's like that one that one tiktok of a or maybe it's a tweet i don't know i never know anymore which came first but it's like um <laughs> the beatles song 
come together but like as a police description <laughs> oh you need to find that and send it to me if yeah you it's so good and <laughs> right he got like feet down below his knees <laughs> it's like yeah <laughs> that's this essentially it's like yeah. how the fuck are you gonna track this man down across the whole city this is all you know is that barbara kohler is his mom essentially right um but this is how the trial gets its name authorities dubbed jacob magician jackal or wizard jackal hmm um but i'm gonna call him Mad- magic jack i love it magic jack um mostly because it sounds like uh then he owns a motorcycle with like a galaxy mural on the tank and he lives behind like the taqueria in town <laughs> um, for sure <laughs> And he has a collection of exotic pets. 100%. And they're all, like, they're not doing well in his house. (laughs) And it's pretty depressing (laughs) to be there. But he sells weed, so you have to go. This is before weed is legal. That is Magic Jack. Yeah. 100% Magic Jack. (laughs) Um, I would not feel safe alone in a room with him no um but he would be a fascinating person to talk to sure in public in a well-lit area yes (laughs) (laughs) with cctv footage if you're overage right yes there's a lot of caveats that we're making (laughs) (laughs) maybe just don't engage (laughs) maybe just read about people like magic jack (laughs) yeah you don't need to be friends with everybody no <laughs> that's a life lesson and that's that's a free one yes um anyway authorities cannot figure out if magic jack is alive or dead or get a beat on him to begin with so they just start rounding up some local beggars to figure out what's going on one dionysus feldner which his name is even longer than that but holy shit mm-hmm. um is a 12-year-old better known as Dirty Animal. Oh my god. What is happening in this story? Magic Jack and Dirty Animal. Dirty Animal. Are you on <laughs> are you starting to understand why I chose this story? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's not a very long story, but by God, did it pull me in from the first paragraph and now let me go. Mm-hmm. Um, Dirty Animal told authorities. <laughs> <laughs> on Good Friday, 1677, that Magic Jack was dead um but on the 18th of april i'm presuming because good friday is what the first friday of april is it i think News to me is <laughs> <laughs> right before whenever easter is i think um anyway so maybe the 18th of april of 1677 so two three ish weeks later um dirty animal likely <laughs> after torture <laughs> I love his name, um, <laughs> recanted this statement. Um, so, yes, they did torture a 12-year-old into um, recanting that Magic Jack was dead. Fuck. Yes. Um, he then wove a story about how Magic Jack had amassed an army of homeless beggars. This was confirmed by another beggar boy, Matthias Hassendorfer. Hassendorfer. Sure. Yeah, sure. Why not that? Um, (laughs) 
who said Magic Jack was instructing him in black magic, along with a number of other children who Matthias unfortunately named. Um, For authorities, Magic Jack is public enemy number one, but his quote-unquote army also needs to be rooted out and executed, which means rounding up the local indigent population. Ruh-roh. Yes. Um, Beggar's got a bad rap then and now. Uh, There's a book, the one I mentioned a minute ago. It was interesting, but I could only read every other page of it for free, which was frustrating as fuck because you would get a whole a whole page and it would be like super boring and then like the last sentence would be relevant to what was going on god damn and it next, and then i wouldn't get the next page <laughs> fuck <laughs> and then i would just come back in like three quarters of the way through a story it's like eh, i'm gonna use my pattern recognition skills mm. and knowledge of other witchcraft trials to fill in the blanks here yep. i guess mm-hmm um i i guess this is what happened uh but it's called rebellion community and custom in early modern germany um it had a chapter about beggars in salzburg and um in the surrounding area and i wish i could have read the whole book because it was fascinating i did not think that i would be glued to um a book about the homeless in the 1600s in austria um (laughs) yeah I definitely was falling asleep reading it um, because I, I wasn't bored. I was just so, so tired. I couldn't keep my, I was fighting with myself. It was good though. (laughs) Um, It talked about kind of from what I pieced together, this growing disconnect between beggars and Christian do-gooders where essentially Christians decide to throw their whole selves into charity Mm-hmm. um alms giving giving people things doing good for one of nothing in return which poor people are absolutely on board for um but the expectation slowly becomes well you aren't giving me anything in return um so i think at the very least like you owe me a little bit of gratitude mm-hmm. and grace and maybe a smile like that would be really nice mm-hmm. um which the homeless population is living on the streets and the highways. It's a very harsh environment. Um, so they're starving and they're hot and cold and maybe they're being robbed and assaulted. I mean, they're not always chipper and their situation <laughs> doesn't allow them to be super chipper people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Barbara herself is known for punching men, but she needs to know how to do something like that. Like these people are just going to wait until she turns around and try and steal her dog. Mm-hmm. And you know nobody's going to help her get that dog back. Nobody knows shit about her. Yeah. She needs to know how to punch her way out of situations. We all do. We do. Um but they definitely throw that around like that's something very negative. She is a woman who knows how to punch people. Okay, a life that skill. It's horrible. It's like she leveled up. <laughs> right. I wish I knew how to punch men. I mean, I think I could figure it out, but I wouldn't be great at it. I need practice. I need to build up my muscle strength. <laughs> right. That's why you're at physical therapy, to learn how yes. to punch men. For now, we maim them. Um, (laughs) for now we cyber bully them 
I didn't ever tell you the story about how I got a kid kicked out of school for a couple of days. <laughs> no. Um, well, he was bullying me um, and he was trying to get other people to also bully me. I got bullied a lot in high school um, and I decided to bully him back. Okay. Because um, he was pissing me off and he was hurting my feelings. And so I just decided to make as many digs at his intelligence as I possibly could Mm -hmm. until he was no longer pursuing me I was pursuing him good um and it hurt his feelings so bad that he threatened to murder me whoa (laughs) yes he straight up threatened to quote slit my throat and throw me in a creek (laughs) (laughs) Mm. (laughs) yes um and because he did that, I got him uh, suspended for several days. I don't and see I did anything not get wrong. In trouble. I don't see anything wrong with that. No, um, but like I absolutely psychologically tortured the fuck out of that poor boy. Like Good. he is making fun of me, but I made fun of him worse, and I got him kicked out of school. That's the thing about men like that, though. <laughs> they can't. They're so sad in there they're so sad they're so stupid they're so lonely that just like anything at all will just push them right to the brink yeah nuts silly really it is um but yeah that is currently how I solve um most of my problems though when I was a really (laughs) small child I did straight up throw boys across the room um (laughs) did it to my brother and he never he didn't mess with me anymore after that and then at school in fifth grade um I had a kid who wouldn't stop bothering me so I waited until the teacher left the room I picked him up from his desk and I threw him across the classroom (laughs) (laughs) whenever the teacher came back inside he battled on me she goes Mason Liz is a really nice girl. So whatever you did, you probably deserved. <laughs> Queen. Uh, yes, I can no longer throw little boys across the room. Well, you could. <laughs> I could. I mean, you'd probably be better at it now. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> um, now that we've learned a lot about me. <laughs> I will do some truth telling later, I'm sure. So... <laughs> Um, okay, so all of this, you end up with people having an attitude in response to beggars having an attitude, more or less. Mm -hmm. Um, you get free stuff. Why are you still so rude? Why are you so needy? Why do you lie for sympathy? Why do you steal? Why don't you appreciate that I'm making a hard choice sacrificing my things during hard times to give to you? Um, it's Mm. just like all of this people getting like this snotty kind of attitude with homeless people Uh, mixed with the fact that the homeless don't dress the cleanest or have the best hygiene and a disproportionate amount of them have mental or physical disabilities that landed them in their situation to begin with yep Um, there are stories in that book that I mentioned that it would literally be like oh somebody went off to like this farm to uh, work but they were turned down for the job because they had a disability so they immediately went to go beg on the streets because that was their only other option this is literally what else are you gonna do 
Yeah, it was, you're going to give me this job or I'm going to live on the streets. Yeah. And they're like, well, I'm not giving you the job because you're disabled. And they're like, well, I guess then I'm going to go be homeless then. <laughs> I'll just that's go fuck myself. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just um, the one of the reasons that it was so interesting, um, the book, is that it was just account after account of like how all of these people had ended up in this situation. Like this person is like, uh, you know, both of my parents died. I had to go beg on the street. Um, one of them, which was really heartbreaking to me that it mentioned was, um, as you can see, I put my phone down because I'm just recalling this. <laughs> um, this group of siblings, one of them had inherited the farm whenever their parents died. Um, but it was such a small farm and so like little inheritance that there was nothing that they could share with any of their other siblings. Mm -hmm. Like it was barely enough to support them. Yeah. So one sibling went into a trade, one went into the war and, and died. And then the other one became a beggar. Um, yeah. It was very sad. It's like, well, I'm giving you the farm that we have. And I guess everybody else is going to have to figure it out. Right. And to see like, oh, you get a farm and you get to be homeless. And you get to be dead. Like, and you okay. get to die. Jesus um and that's just among like one group of siblings and it, it was just going like through everybody like you know this was their situation this was them these are two people who begged together every day and what they did um mm -hmm. and it was just because I mean this is from the 1600s so yeah you know it just to it's like I can understand why they would have an attitude I mean yeah and like so much of what you're saying I think is still true today it's very true today and it the one thing that I would say is a little bit different about today maybe than back then is the book kept talking about how once you were a beggar back then like you pretty much never ever got to climb back up the mm. social economic ladder like ever again yeah there was no upward mobility like you fell down there you're never gonna make enough money to get out of that hole. Mm -hmm. whereas I feel like now it is possible yeah I mean I think it's still like very it's improbable very but like I mean, you never know with the internet nowadays. The people just, that, and that's pretty much what I was hinting at is there's just so many videos of, oh, like I have a bunch of followers who all donate a pool of money yeah. to me and I walk around and I find people to give it to. Right. That I just, like there isn't really an equivalent of that, I don't think, hundreds of years ago, just strangers following a stranger on the internet and entrusting them with their money to go give to other people true yeah I mean I think yeah what what would be the equivalent I don't know and there would be nothing of the scale that's possible with the internet today I don't think but yeah so you have people from countries all over mm -hmm. the place donating to like this one little person off the side of the road in like Arizona right um so yeah I think that's interesting I think that's definitely 
a difference, but, you know, it's just very bleak to read about that, you know, you know, once they hit this station, it's like, as it for them. Yeah. Like this, this was where they were going to die. My face is now forlorn <laughs> and I'm slowly nodding in sad agreement. I love these stage directions. <laughs> <laughs> it really is like what happened, what goes through my head when I'm looking at myself in a Zoom meeting. Mm-hmm. I'm like, ah, yes, I am doing the proper things but I really like there's no reason for me to do that now you can't see mm-hmm. but we still do but I still do it um anyway all of this to say um it's kind of like the second kindness turns from an exchange of like uh you know you come to my house but I'll provide this or you know, I even, you know, witchcraft and a lot of the times it was, you know, still kind of a barter system mm-hmm. of like, I'm giving you a thing for a thing. Yeah. Um, whenever it's just pure charity of I'm just giving you something and you don't have to give me anything back. Um, it gets really messy. Yep. Um, and I feel like humans are hardwired in a way to kind of expect reciprocity, um, at least in my own opinion. Um, because even when you donate money, you kind of expect to get like a warm, fuzzy feeling in your stomach of like, wow, I'm a good person. I did a good thing. It's true. Yeah. And I think, I think altruism exists. I don't think pure, true altruism exists. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I used to think about this a lot more. And now, like, I don't really think about big concepts anymore because I'm, I like, I got dumber um, since undergrad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> um, hmm. And there's also, I feel like my worldview has changed so much over the past, like, three or four years that I, like, there's some concepts that my brain hasn't gotten around to, like, revisiting to see what I think about them now. Yeah, like free will, like altruism, like, you know, fate or like everything happens for a reason, like and like reincarnation and like all that type of stuff. Like I haven't gone back and thought about them because I'm scared to. <laughs> yeah, there's some things I have to think myself kind of into a wall and then step away for a really, really long period of time. I haven't really thought about altruism since yeah. high school, probably. Yeah. Because we had to write essays on it. They were yeah. always making us do that shit. Yeah, it's like this isn't philosophy, okay? This is like American history. Yeah. Um, it's calm down. Right. It's, a, it bit, it's a bit much. Like, what is the meaning of life? I thought we were on the American Revolution. And I always knew that I'd done like too much because my essays would always get yanked out of the stack and like read to the class. And Ew. I'm like, okay, like Joe Bob over here don't give uh, one fuck about the way in which I view altruism. Joe Bob has a head injury because you <laughs> threw him across the room when he was four years old. He drove his tractor to school. He gets out <laughs> early on Friday for rifle season. He does not care. <laughs> we don't need to be doing all this for Joe Bob. <laughs> no child left behind. 
not in Florida, like Illinois. He, he may be perfectly smart, but let's keep my weird, pretentious, philosophical bullshit between me and you. Okay, oh, this is our yeah, covenant yeah, yeah. between one another. Yes. Um, we don't need to let everybody in the class know that I'm probably on the spectrum. All right. <laughs> <laughs> they already knew. <laughs> they did, but we don't need to put it even more in their face. <laughs> let me hide in the back behind my binder. Yep. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, <laughs> whenever, like I said, you donate, you expect to to feel something warm and fuzz, uh, fuzzy, but um, being confronted with someone who shits on your charity or makes you feel like your charity is inadequate in some way, like Barbara taking the food off of your plate because the food you gave her wasn't enough, mm. um, kind of makes you want to stop giving people charity. Um, yeah. But two seconds of empathy solves that problem. Yeah. If you're willing to give it two seconds. Mm-hmm. That's a big and if. Not, yeah. And not everybody does. No. So it becomes easy to be disgusted by the dirty kids begging for their parents or the bitter old woman with the lame leg asking for handouts on the corner. And you throw in witch hysteria and no one is surprised or complaining that the authorities are dragging in droves at the homeless. Right. So, the Oh, I didn't look up how to say this. Uh, we're just going to make it up. Um, the victims of the Salzburg witch trials were tortured, sentenced, and executed at, it looks like Musham Castle. Sure. Um, it could be Mooseham it could be something entirely different. I don't know how you split it. Okay. It's M-O-O-S-H-A-M. Mushum. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Mush them together. <laughs> Just mush them. Uh, it, it's a castle in Austria. It has a, a name that I definitely would not have made up and put into a fantasy series because it looks kind of funny. No, it looks, it's silly. Yes, it's a little goofy. Austria, don't um, be silly. What are you doing? <laughs> now watch, it's probably got some like really dark etymology. I know. Uh, da, 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 da. The castle is an imposing stone structure on the side of a hill set to the trees overlooking the area below. Um, I recommend Googling a picture uh, because I definitely would have shit my pants a little if they told me I was being hauled mm. up there. I'm Googling it right now good um it looks like the kind of place that could keep you very easily if it wanted to Ooh. Um, and it wanted to you you understand what i mean like the white gray kind of stone up in the trees first of all it's gorgeous second of all it's terrifying it it's very much it has that kind of prison institutional it does it's almost like if like a state penitentiary had a baby with Dracula's castle. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, yes. It's a very good description. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. Um, the castle is privately owned now, but I believe still open to the public, though I am happy to be corrected. Um, I read about a torture chamber reconstruction that was popular with dark tourists. Well, let's bookmark that for the authorities, whoever owns the place. <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
Um, but it's here that the authorities interrogate the homeless, though. When they do, they don't always get the stories about magic, jack, magician, thief, beggar, murderer that they wanted. Sometimes the kids said, you know, oh, yeah, well, he taught me, but he taught me reading and writing. Um, mm-hmm. Or, you know, he, he taught me, but he taught me reading and writing and shooting, which to me speaks to a level of innocence that, you know, they're asked about this bad man and what did the bad man teach you? And they're like, I don't know, my ABCs, what do people teach people? Right. I'm 12. <laughs> yeah, also like probably not in school, like probably never went to school. No, um, that's mm. another thing that the book talked about that, um, you know, some of them had educations were dropouts. Some of mm-hmm. them had been disadvantaged later in life. And so they were educated, but you do have a lot of people who don't know how to read and they don't know how to write and they didn't mm-hmm. get to go to school. Yeah. So there it's like, yeah, you're going to like this magic Jack guy. He sounds really cool. The leader <laughs> of our army, I guess, like he's a pretty dope guy. He taught <laughs> me how to spell. Tie my know. shoes. Yeah. What do you want from me? Yeah. Um, when they did figure out how to pry the answers they wanted out of these predominantly kids and teens, they got these grandiose tales of Magic Jack who can shapeshift, Magic Jack who can turn invisible, Magic Jack who kills people, who has an army of rats he can deploy to crops and homesteads to destroy them, like some kind of evil Pied Piper, mm-hmm. um, which is another reason that I chose this story. So I'm like, Magic Jack, dirty animal, Pied Piper? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is There's going on? There's a lot going on. I forgot about dirty animal. Dirty animal. Don't forget about dirty animal. <laughs> After everything he went through. After everything dirty animal and I have been through. <laughs> he suffered so much for your sins. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting weird. I'm losing the metaphor, but um, still love the uh, name. Good. Magic Jack. Um just this story of this guy who has hundreds of beggars at his service that he schools day and night. Um, But no one, especially not the authorities has ever laid eyes on Jack. All he is is a collection of tall tales that they chase and chase and chase until they can't anymore. Hmm. In the end, 139 people are executed as followers of Magic Jack. 39 are children between the ages of 10 and 14. Oh, no. 53 are teenagers and young adults between the ages of 15 and 21. Mm. 21 are of unknown age altogether. And 113 of the 139 are male, um, which is surprising. Um yeah, it is an amount of men in this trial who are murdered, and everyone except for two are beggars. So, mm-hmm. like 137 homeless people that they murdered. Damn. Yes, the youngest killed was a child named Honorel, ten years old, and the oldest was Margaret Reinberg, eighty years old. Um, Of the 139 who were executed, 109 of them were executed in 1681. So um, almost all of them were killed that year. And then a couple of four and it tapered off after. Yeah. 
they were tortured, they were burned, some of them while still alive and others after having been hanged or decapitated. Some had their hands cut off or were marked with a branding iron, and of those, some were released back into public instead of executed to be made an example of. Oh, no. Uh, so you did have um, children, um, homeless children running around with their hands cut off. Uh, I don't like this story anymore. No, <laughs> it's a dark story. Like it's fun for like two seconds and then yeah. it's not fun anymore. That's most of your stories though. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> this is what I bring you. Um, <laughs> it's a bunch of fun wrapped around the outside of pure tragedy. <laughs> right. It's like the worst type of like the, like what are those Tootsie Pops? Yeah, it's kind of like a Trojan horse a little bit. Yeah. Um, I bring you Magic Jack and Dirty Animal and all of this. And mm-hmm. on the inside is 139 dead homeless people. <laughs> yeah. Good. My face is like a pained smile. Grimace. I like it. Good. There's a lot of eyebrow stuff going on. <laughs> um, Some locals say Jack, a shapeshifter, still roams the area to this day. And uh, Musum Musum Castle is forever imprinted with the screams of its victims, who some claim still walk its halls. But that is the story of Magic Jack and the Salzburg Witch Trials. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it was a rough one. <laughs> yeah. It was good, though. I think it's important as a society to just do a little reflecting every now and then. Just check in, you know, figure out what it would take for you to become homeless. Really not that much. No, we're all about paychecks away from it. Keep that in the back of your crusty old brain. Yeah, maybe, maybe be nice. Um, in Salzburg, maybe think about that time that you murdered a bunch of homeless people. Yeah, really not a good look. I mean, America can't talk at all. Oh no, we like committed our own set of mass atrocities. So many mass atrocities. So many. I can't even. I don't even know all of them. Yeah, I'm constantly surprised when people are like, "Hey, did you ever hear about the blah 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 bombing?" And mm-hmm. I'm like, "No, what did we do?" Or do you ever hear when we did like these internment camps? I'm like, "What?" Right. When I heard about the Japanese internment camps, whenever I was in like, God, I would have had to have been in like seventh grade. I was like, "Holy shit!" Yep, I remember. I very distinctly remember that too. And looking back, it seems like. I don't know if it was just how far in back in history I thought it was or if it was the way that it was presented. But I remember thinking like, this didn't happen in the same America that I live in now, but it very much did. It was like, like my grandpa was in his 20s. Yeah, it is nuts to think about some of the stuff yeah i mean we don't really need to go down that rabbit hole no um (laughs) but you know just everybody think about think about some stuff everybody think about your sins and just 
maybe write an essay on altruism for your um 12th grade American history class it should be five pages double spaced teacher's name at the top um on my desk by Monday morning no extensions Um, so we will have a few things in common today. I'm also in Austria and the surrounding area, and my story includes homeless people and beggars um, and takes place just a little bit after your story, about 100 years, <laughs> a little in the grand scheme. Um, I did not know this man that I'm talking about before I started researching, but I'm glad to know more about him and about what was going on in Austria. I know literally, I knew literally nothing about Austrian history. Um, but now I know a tiny little uh, sliver. Um, so I like that. Um, so this is the story of St. Clement Maria Hofbauer, a co-founder of the Redemptorist Congregation, who is known as the Apostle of Vienna. My sources are not ideal. They're not great. The only secular source I have is good old Wikipedia. Um, and I don't have any primary sources except what is excerpted from Clement's writings in the hagiographies that I read. Um, I read two of them, one from 1939 and one from 1952. The 1952 one was a translation from the original German text, and I know there are earlier English translations, but I couldn't find them. They were either um, out of print or they were like crazy expensive um, and only like print versions that I would have had to order like a month ago, probably. So our story begins in the 1750s in Moravia, which is now part of the Czech Republic. St. Clement is born Johannes, or Hansel, Hofbauer, on December 26th, 1751, in the town of, and I am making an educated guess, uh, Tajvitz, also known in Czech as Tajjovica, I think. Um, Hansel was the ninth of 12 children, born to Maria Steer and Paul Hofbauer. That's too many kids. It's too many, but good news, seven of them died, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, it was manageable. <laughs> um, so really only five, which is like nothing. They cook down to nothing. Like spinach. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Um, so the dad, Paul, was actually born Pavel Dvorak. I think that's how you pronounce that name. Um, but he had changed the family name from the Czech to the German Hofbauer. They both mean farmer. I don't know why. I couldn't figure you out. changed your last name and you still chose the one that meant farmer? Well, he was a farmer, so. Yeah, but like... You gotta make it what you want to be. <laughs> I don't know if that sort of like girl boss manifestation attitude—you make, make it was like <laughs> widely available back then. 
<laughs> so what should he have changed it to? Like rich man? <laughs> Businessman. Businessman. <laughs> Hello, my name is Paul Businessman. <laughs> like, well, that is really convincing. That's, That's got a nice ring to it. I don't need to see a resume at all. <laughs> you are hired. Mm-hmm. References? No. Nope. <laughs> don't need them. <laughs> He's a businessman in town on business. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know why he changed it. I'm assuming it's got to be like political in some way. Like it's mm-hmm. got to, you don't just like do that for fun. No. Like it's some kind of maybe prejudice that he's trying to get out from under, I was thinking. Um, but who knows? I'm going to be farmer, but just in a slightly <laughs> different language. I'm going to be a different flavor of farmer. <laughs> or it could be it could very well be that you know they were german at that point in time because where they were living was always like contested like who owned them basically um like Mm -hmm. who they belong to that could be it too um but that's still political anyway um hansel's father raised livestock on the farm and he was a butcher um, but he died when Hansel was just six years old. Oh. Um, yeah. And so when this happened, the story goes that Hansel's mother, Maria, brought him to his father's bedside where the the man had just <laughs> taken his last breath. His father's Expired. corpse. <laughs> right. <laughs> um So he sees the corpse and then his mom points to a crucifix that's hanging above the bed and is like, that's your daddy now. Daddy Jesus. (laughs) A little intense. Um, Yes, for sure. (laughs) Using. I mean, he's only six. Yeah. Um. But based on the rest of the story, it seems like that moment really sunk in. He kind of, he took that to heart. To maybe I would took have it, taken it literally, though. That my I dad think he is did. Quite literally Jesus now. <laughs> right. Because, <laughs> I mean, look at the Bible, you know? Mm. Like, your dad could be God. Like, it's a thing that could happen. Um. So Hansel's childhood was marked by war, most of all. Um, The Seven Years' War was going on, which is a real thing that I know about, and I know what it is. Um, It's a war that lasted seven (laughs) years. Right, what's to know? Everybody knows that. Um, And that's all. Um, (laughs) I like to be like, like whenever there's like... It's like factual, and I could find the answer really easily. I like to be like, and nobody knows what happened. <laughs> Mystery lost to the ages. Right. <laughs> um, we'll never know. Um, yeah. So actually, the same year that Hansel's father died, Moravia was invaded by the Prussian king Frederick the Great, who seems like kind of a dick. So the Seven Years' War very briefly, because I do know what it is, um, was a global conflict that um, is sometimes referred to as the First World War. 
It started because the Austrian Habsburgs were trying to reclaim the province of Silesia that they had lost to Prussia during the War of Austrian Succession just a few years prior. So like war after war after war. <laughs> um, and there's, of course, your average famine and disease that go along with war. Um, and there's not really an extended period of time in Clement's life where there isn't a war happening. <laughs> it's always either war or the aftermath of war or the lead up to the next war. Poor guy. Um, so that's just always going on in the background, no matter what he's doing. The 1952 hagiography, the one that's a translation from the German, has a really nice excerpt about this that I wanted to read, um, which will give you a sense of what the writing in the book is like, um, which I actually really enjoyed. Um, so, quote, the horsemen of the apocalypse galloped through Bohemia and Silesia and down the green meadows of Moravia. Want, the cannon boomed. Want. The muster drums beat a brittle tattle in every town along the Taya. Want, the empress wants more soldiers. 6,000 fell at Hochkirk, 6,000 more at Liegnitz, 9,000 at Turgau. The empress wants soldiers. Want groaned the storm bells in every steeple. Want, fire and death. Silver tallers grew thin and worthless. Bread was black and hard and exorbitant in price. Everywhere there were rumors of peasants eaten alive, of trampled grain fields, churches desecrated, violated children, rumors of slaughter and the torch and heart-rending misery, beggars wrapped with thin bony fingers on house doors where want was already guessed, gypsies, freebooters, deserters crept into farmyards by night and stole not only the eggs but the hens as well. Want had planted its heels deep in the green lands of Moravia. And that's like, it's like that for the entire book. That's so like, good. So good. That's, that's astounding, honestly. I really was good. spoiled by this book. And like, who knows what's accurate in it? It's a very romanticized telling of this man's life. But like, I don't even care if it's that good. Does it have an author? Yes. Well, the original German author, I don't really know much about him, but I know that it was translated by a redemptorist, which I'll get to like their whole deal later. Um, so, I mean, I think that the original German guy probably was one too. I don't know. Um... And I don't remember his name. <laughs> I can oh, find it if I opened the tab that I was on. I was reading it on um, the Internet Archive, which is like my favorite resource. Um, but yeah, I can't remember his name for sure. Anyway, uh, we don't have many factual details of Hansel's childhood, but we do know that he was very close with his mommy. He would apparently later write that whatever good there was in him, it came from his mother's influence. He wanted from a young age to become a priest, um, but because his family had lost um, his father, there was no money for him to go away to school. 
He did study Latin with the parish priest for a while, but his studies were interrupted when um, the priest died. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that'll do it. Um, and the new one, the new priest didn't have time for him. So instead of studying for the priesthood, he had to learn a trade. And when he was around 16 years old, he became a baker's apprentice, which like as trades go like that, that's what I would do as well. <laughs> like if I had to be a trade. Peanut buttery yogurt. <laughs> okay, that is not representative. I had fallen on hard times. It's not a representative sample of the things that I cook for myself, okay? <laughs> it's important that that is known. So uh, he became an, a baker's apprentice, and I thought that you would like this detail, actually. The baker that he apprenticed for had a little son who was like four or five years old, and this kid was fucking obsessed with Hansel and would stalk him and like follow him on all his um deliveries to the point where it was like getting in the way of him doing his job um so Hansel would like lift the kid up and put him on his shoulder and carry him around and the townspeople um would be like oh there goes saint christopher because it, <laughs> it looked like christopher carrying baby jesus across the river yeah. <laughs> but all through town like out for hours on end <laughs> um so yeah after a few years at his um apprenticeship in 1770 which is dangerously close to america times like that's how is this happening at the same time i don't get it um in 1770 he went to work in the bakery at a priory in either brook or Klosterbrook seems like the names are maybe interchangeable but I know nothing of the matter um and I refuse to learn this is still a very bad time the crops are failing typhus is rampant and so a lot of hungry people are coming to the priory for food I think I read that they were feeding an average of like 900 people a day um so Hansel worked basically around the clock at this bakery for about five years it's here that he met another baker named Peter Kunzman, and the two of them became besties for the resties. Um, then Hansel decided to live as a hermit for a while, which anyone who has decided in, anyone has worked in the restaurant industry will understand that after five years. <laughs> Any sort of customer service job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any like front facing front of house situation. Although he was probably in the back of house. Never mind. Um, retire from society now. Yes, he wants to retire. <laughs> um, he wants to be a hermit. Um, but he couldn't do that in Austria because Holy Roman Emperor Joseph II had abolished all the hermitages. Because it isn't like he wants to go like be homeless and live outside alone. He wants to live in a community. He wants to be alone in a community. <laughs> of people who are also being alone <laughs> he's an extrovert that needs to check out right he wants a cell with a common area but not prison yes <laughs> um 
so Joseph, Emperor Joseph, was um, is often called an enlightened despot. Um, and monarchs like this during the Enlightenment period, they would use the ideals of the Enlightenment that were spreading through Europe at the time to justify an absolute monarchy, which seems backwards because it kind of is. Um, but so it, just like previous absolute monarchs they believed that they were destined to rule but instead of divine right they believed that they had like the responsibility to improve their subjects lives um literally by whatever means necessary so it's still like absolutism but it's just rebranded with like nicer marketing it's like oh well i will do this for your own good like for your own good i'm outlawing everything fun <laughs> and interesting um, anyway, because he can't be a hermit in Austria, Hansel and his baker friend Peter decide to go on a pilgrimage to Rome. It's a buddy comedy. They walk there. It's about a thousand kilometers. He loves to walk, this guy. Um, after they visit Rome, they continue to the city of Tivoli, where they find a hermitage at the shrine of Our Lady of, ooh, forgot to look this up, Our Lady of Quintiliolo. Just a guess there. A lot of vowels going on. Um, and they work there for about six months, I think. I was a little confused by the timing of the events. But I think what happened was that um, Hansel and Peter worked at the shrine for like six months. And then Hansel had this realization that being a hermit, it was nice, but it wasn't enough for him. It didn't satisfy the desire that he had to become a priest like he still wanted to do that um so the two of them went went back to vienna <laughs> another thousand kilometers um and hansel tried to go to the seminary but emperor joseph had just closed all the seminaries <laughs> he's like i did a lot of walking for this <laughs> um literally cannot catch a break um, and so he was then going to go to college at like a university, like a state, not state university, but like state with a capital S um, and study for the priesthood there, but he couldn't afford it. So instead, he just went back to his bakery job um, and he studied Latin on the side. Um, he was also an altar server to like earn his keep at the priory and his lessons and stuff because um, Yavoy was broke. So one day when he was 29 years old, he had just been altar serving at mass and it was raining outside. So he called a cab for three ladies who were the daughters of, I think, like a judge or something. Also, side note, the cab thing was like, what is happening when I read that? Like, he called a cab for them? Like, what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> like, like, I know I'm not great at remembering, like, when things were invented, but I'm pretty sure, like... I don't the, think we had the, taxi the cab. yellow automobile yet. <laughs> right. And that's how I learned that the word cab is short for cabriolet which is a two-wheeled horse-drawn carriage. Did you know that? People, you're just walking around knowing this? I figured that it had to be short. <laughs> Something. Well, yeah, but I didn't know. Um, so he calls them a cab, these ladies, and they offer him a seat in it. They're like, oh, why don't you come with us? Um, and while they're cabrioleting around, 
<laughs> when you learn a new word, <laughs> you work it into every conversation <laughs> incorrectly. I can't do um, that when I work at Walmart because then I just sound stupid. <laughs> I can't say cabriolet in the middle of a conversation with my the cabriolet. I called me a cabriolet the other day. <laughs> <laughs> they would shoot you on site. They would take me on the parking lot and execute me. Yep. Um. So they're in the cabriolet. And they, the ladies ask him when his ordination is. Um, they just assumed that he was in the seminary because they always saw him serving at mass. And he says, oh, like, I would love to be a priest, but I don't have the money for college. And the ladies are like, um, if that's the only issue, we would love to take care of that for you. And they fucking bankroll him. We would love to be your sugar mommies. They're his three sugar mommies. And... It's the best day of his life. It's a miracle to him. Um, So they give him the money that he needs to go to the University of Vienna. Um, The baker that he's been working for doesn't want him to go because he's such a good worker. And he actually offers him his daughter's hand in marriage if he'll stay. Um, Yeah. And this part is like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, kind of. Well, one of the hagiographies doesn't talk about this at all, this part, but the other one, the romanticized one, it there's this whole chapter where like the daughter is like they the events are reversed in the hagiography. Um, so like the baker's daughter was like in love with him and was like heartbroken that he didn't want to marry her. Um, but she like prayed for a miracle for him so that he could afford college because she knew that that was what he was supposed to do. And then the next day he met the ladies in the rain. And so like, who knows, like, that's a way better story, which probably means it isn't true. And she's like, if only that <laughs> dummy had prayed for himself. <laughs> <laughs> right? Why didn't he do that 20 years ago? Stupid. Stupid. I love him, but he's not that smart. No, he's really not. Um, so he finally gets to go off to college, um, and college is, like, not great for him. Um, he's very much a romantic, and he's very much, uh, like, not simple, like, he's not stupid, but he is very into God, (laughs) and so, like, the Enlightenment stuff was really not his vibe, the sort of, like, liberated rationalism was really not um, up his alley, but he did complete his degree in 1784. However, there was nothing he could do with his degree because the emperor had forbidden religious orders from accepting new candidates. So he didn't read the fine print. Um, after graduation, he decided he might as well go back to Rome, and he went there on foot again from Vienna, um, this time with a different friend, a college buddy named Thaddeus. He talks a lot of people into walking distances. He must be really good at, like, those, like, deep conversations you have when you're walking, you know? hmm Which are my favorite kind. Like, he must have asked really good, like, would you rather questions. <laughs> he must have. <laughs> or been really good at I Spy. <laughs> Maybe he invented the game of I Spy. You never know. Crazier things have happened. I Spy something green. Is it a tree? tree? <laughs> I spy a tree. I didn't even spy anything. Um. Okay. So him and Thaddeus are on the road, 
Um, right away when they get to Rome, the two of them join the Redemptorist novitiate at San Giuliano in Rome. The Redemptorists were a relatively new order. They had been founded about 50 years prior by Bishop Alphonsus Liguori in order to minister to the poor in uh, Naples. It was also sort of founded as a response to another movement in the church called Jansenism, which propagated the idea that basically not everybody is predestined to be saved, which is very much Calvinist, um, like the elect are the ones who will be saved and like everybody else, like, oops. Um, basically, it was like a very morally rigid movement. And one of its prevailing ideas was like anyone who isn't showing perfect contrition, like perfectly, anyone who isn't like perfectly sorry for every single sin they have ever committed and is not like actively not doing those things anymore, they're not even worth talking to or like helping at all jesus yes um so like for example a so parishioner yes a parishioner making the same confession every week like someone who's like oh i i know i shouldn't be stealing bread but like i am starving um like every week and being like i'm sorry like may i please have the eucharist now <laughs> like a jansenist would be like, oh, that person might as well not even come to church. Um, <laughs> just like Jesus said. <laughs> you are not allowed to struggle in exactly. this house. Exactly. No, upon like any inspection at all, it is completely... The most neurotypical church I've <laughs> <laughs> Or is it a church created by neurodivergent people who like learned all the rules to the letter <laughs> and are just like performing them look i may know the rules but i'm really bad at performing mm, them <laughs> it's true um so the redemptorists or their full name is the congregation of the most holy redeemer they have the opposite attitude where they're like no the people who are doing things imperfectly about trying to be better like that is the actual point of life <laughs> um and so one of the things about the founder the founder alphonsus who would later become a saint was that he never refused absolution to anyone who made confession to him it's like well it's not my business you know um, to decide. I'm not the judge. So when Hansel joined the order, he took the name Clement Mary or Clement Maria. Um, Clement after, I will tell you, Clement <laughs> after St. Clement of Rome and Mary or Maria because of his devotion to the Virgin Mary and his mommy. His and mom his was mommy. also Mary. That's a weird name. Um, Makes me think of Clementines. Clementine Marie was his name. <laughs> Clementine Marie. <laughs> it's his stage name <laughs> it's his drag name <laughs> i think it's great um please welcome to the stage <laughs> now dancing on stage three <laughs> clementine it is um, a really cute little name though it clementine. is cute yeah um anyway clement Yes, Clement. So he's Clement now, no longer Hansel. Hansel is dead. 
Um, so this was all under the direction of Bishop Barnabas, who would later become Pope Pius VII, which will come up later. So shortly after joining the order, Clement was finally ordained a priest alongside his buddy Thaddeus. Um, just a couple months after their ordination, they are summoned before their superior general, who tells them that it's their job to go back to their homeland and establish a redemptorist congregation north of the Alps. And they're like, we just crossed those. <laughs> and it was not a good time. <laughs> Can we call a cabriolet this time? <laughs> Clement, Clementine, fetch us a cabriolet. <laughs> Um, yeah, manifest us a cabriolet, Clementine. With three rich women. <laughs> Please. Right. Um, so they go, but of course this was going to be a challenge because Emperor Joseph was straight up ruining their vibe and was not going to allow a new religious order to take root in Austria. So the besties travel to Warsaw, which at the time was in the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. They got there in 1787, and things were not chill there either. Surprise, surprise. Um, Fifteen years earlier, the country had been partitioned up between Austria, Russia, and Prussia. So the king, Stanislaus II, had essentially become a puppet of Catherine the Great of Russia. Um, so there's a lot of political bullshit going on. Um, on their way to Warsaw, they had met up with Clement's old buddy, Peter Kunzman, the baker guy. And he joined their little gang and actually became the first lay brother of the Redemptorist Order who wasn't from Italy. So the three of them arrived in Warsaw with absolutely no money. The archbishop put them in charge of St. Benno's Church, um, which was a German-speaking parish. I think it was like pretty run down. Nobody really went there. The bishop was like, I guess you can just have it. <laughs> Um, so they would say mass at the church, like do all the normal priesty type stuff, but then they would also go out on the streets and, um, try to help people with zero money. Um, so Clement would come across a lot of homeless orphaned boys on the street and he would tell them to come by the church rectory where he would give them some food if they had any and would teach them like a marketable skill, a trade. Um, it's very much like Mother Teresa, like what she did with like the young girls in Calcutta. Um, and of course, he instructed them in the Christian faith as well. There's always a string attached. That's how they get you. <laughs> um, so eventually, these kids were just like taking up the entire church. Um, and uh they needed a place of their own. They were probably getting like peanut butter yogurt all over the church documents and stuff. Because um, <laughs> it was hard times. That's all they had. Um, so this is when Clement opened the Child Jesus Refuge for Homeless Boys. But of course, they still had zero dollars. Um, so the only way he could get food and clothes for the boys was by begging, which he did constantly. Um, he got used to it pretty quickly and would do it like without shame all the time, wherever he went. Um, one story goes that while he was out begging, he went to a bakery and the baker didn't have an assistant. So he just like dusted off those old skills and started like kneading the dough 
and baking the bread <laughs> for him and like got to take some loaves home at the end of the day's work and like that's how he fed the boys that day um another story goes that one day he went to a bar to beg there and one of the customers spat beer in his face and so he said okay that was for me what do you have for my boys <laughs> refreshing <laughs> I, I love that attitude it's so good um chef's kiss or baker's kiss i guess um so at first saint benno's church was very poorly attended there was a lot of distrust because the priests were foreign um and like traditionally foreign influence has not gone super well for poland <laughs> mm -hmm. um but eventually saint benno's was popping it became pretty much the center of the catholic church in warsaw by 1791 four years after they'd arrived they were able to expand the boys home into a school a girls boarding school had recently been established by some wealthy noble women of Warsaw. So now the boys had a school too that was supported by some of the other wealthier citizens. Um, but because demand was so high, like everybody wanted to get in that school. There were so many like poor children in the area. Money was still always really tight. Um, and the priests still had to beg door to door pretty much every day. Um, which was a lot considering like what all they had going on at the church. Um, it was very ambitious. At this point, there were five redemptorist priests and three lay brothers working, and they had decided that they were going to establish what they called a perpetual mission, which basically meant that they were a parish church times 10. So normally, a church will have like, obviously, at least one mass on the weekends, and usually a daily mass during the week. Um, maybe set aside like one or two days a week for confession and then some programs like religious education um, maybe um, that's pretty much it but in this so-called perpetual mission at St. Benno's they had three masses a day every day they had homilies in German and Polish they had adoration of the Eucharist every single day they had the office of the Virgin Mary every day um Stations of the Cross, Vespers, Litanies, prayer services, 24-7 confession hours, like a drive through You can come in your cabriolet through the confession window. No. Um, it, but it was like a one-stop shop. Um, it was the place to be. And then in 1793, Clement was made vicar general of the Redemptorist congregation north of the Alps. And from Warsaw, he worked on establishing the congregation in Germany and Switzerland as well. By 1800, the number of people attending Mass at St. Benno's had grown from about 2,000 in 1787 to over 100,000. They had 21 priests and seven lay brothers. Um, but of course, all of this was with the backdrop of Polish subjugation by the Russian Empire and all of that unrest, um, which was this like looming threat that eventually boiled over with the Polish uprising of 1794. Um, the Redemptorists did not do well in this uprising um, because they were preaching about peace, which like was sort of like read the room like this evil domineering empire has just been like crushing the people of poland 
for decades now and like they finally fight back and the priests are preaching like oh enough violence like let's let's read the room on that one maybe um so this got them branded as traitors to poland um and they were like sanctioned like bit by bit um so at first they couldn't be invited to preach in other churches they had to like stick to saint benno's only they couldn't be like wandering around evangelizing um and then eventually they were banned from preaching and hearing confession in their own churches which obviously like <laughs> puts a little bit of a damper on things on the mm-hmm. daily work um Clement did appeal this to the king, actually, but the king was sort of powerless in this situation, and the Redemptorists were expelled from Poland in 1808. They spent a month in prison and then were ordered to return to their own countries. Clement returned to Vienna and once again could not catch a fucking break. Um, Just a few months after he arrived, Napoleon attacked Vienna in the War of the Fifth Coalition. Clement had to become a hospital chaplain, and he cared for wounded soldiers. Um, He was actually recognized by the archbishop for his service there and was appointed to be the parish priest of a little Italian church in Vienna, I'm assuming because he spoke some Italian from living in Rome for a while. He was priest there for four years and was then appointed the chaplain of the Ursuline Sisters in 1813. He seems to have done well well there. He gained a reputation as... um, an engaging preacher and a good confessor to the sisters. Um, And now that the war was over, the vibe in Vienna was kind of like exquisite. Um, It had become a major cultural center, lots of artists and students and intellectuals. And Clement liked spending time with them and talking with them. Um, He sort of became known for his good advice Um, And many of the students he befriended would go on to become redemptorists as well. Um, And then sort of the last major life event for Clement was the establishment of the first redemptorist foundation in Austria, which kind of came about in a weird way. Um, Basically, Clement was threatened by the government (laughs) with expulsion from, I don't know if it was the city of Vienna or the country, um, but this was because he was communicating with his superior general in Rome, um, sort of like a paranoid xenophobic time post-war. Um, but his order of expulsion needed to be signed by Emperor Franz of Austria, who had actually just come back from a pilgrimage to Rome, where he had met Pope Pius VII, who had known Clement since his time way back when he was a hermit um, in Tivoli. And so because the Pope had already been like talking him up to Emperor Franz, um, instead of being expelled, Clement got the approval to have his own Redemptorist church. <laughs> we'll switcheroo. Um, he's he's a really lucky guy. Like he's so yeah. unlucky that he's lucky almost. <laughs> I don't get it. Um, unfortunately, though, he did not live to see this church get established, like open its doors, because he became ill shortly after. Um, and he died on March 15th, 1820. Um, the 1952 hagiography has a nice passage about his death. Um, his old friend Peter is there at his bedside, um, truly besties for the resties. And they are remembering their time as hermits um, at the shrine in Italy. And the passage reads, quote, The fevered breath grew shorter. He lay there silently a while, his eyes closed. Then he said, Children, 
take care of the congregation. Once I am dead, the doors will swing open to it in Austria, Germany, America, all over the world. From afar, I can see the promised land, but may not enter it myself. God makes his servant do penance for having doubted. Suddenly, the dying man is again delirious. He thinks himself a little boy back home in Tajvitz, climbing the steps to the Madonna. I'm coming, mother, he calls. Hansel is coming with a big bunch of roses, unquote. He was beatified on January 29th, 1888 by Pope Leo XIII and canonized on May 20th, 1909 by Pope Pius X. His feast day is March 15th. And that is the story of St. Clement Maria Hofbauer. Oh, St. Clementine. Little St. Clementine. Who walked everywhere. Who walked at least 4,000 kilometers. Like Jesus. That is just so much walking. It's a lot. Um, I also, <laughs> the hagiography also said that he was constantly eating. <laughs> which like makes sense because of all the walking. Um, but it said that like, like when he was, when he first joined like the congregation in Italy and like changed his name and everything, his biggest mm-hmm. temptation was that there was a um, a grapevine outside his cell window. And so whenever he was supposed to be fasting, he would always like take a grape or two. Like he couldn't do it. <laughs> very human. And then he would just be like racked with guilt <laughs> for having eaten a wild grape. Like it really messed with him. But then he's like, I just can't. Like this, these Italians with their like little bites of food and their and their wine. And meanwhile, he's used to like a full plate of like sausage and like potatoes and like that German style food. That's hilarious. Yeah, I relate to him. I do too. Clementine. Who's in Clementine? <laughs> I give them names, they stick in my head better. Yep, it's true. Ye old Plato leg. <laughs> Saint Oscar Meyer Wiener. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I have already forgotten all the details about these people. But Oscar Meyer Wiener brings it right back. I'm like, oh yeah, he went to Sweden and almost got killed a bunch of times. Because <laughs> like nobody wanted him there. So the story of all these priest lives. Uh-huh. Well, my oh. cat is um smothering me and won't leave me alone because mm-hmm. he woke up from his nap. So mm. he's so needy. He is so needy. <laughs> what a baby. Anyway. You know how to contact us should you have a suggestion or a grievance. Next time I will have a camera again. Fingers crossed. God willing. I look forward to seeing your face. <laughs> Said no one ever. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time. Thanks be to God. Blessed be.